I find it ironic that I would travel where I did. Just before I left, I had somebody ask me. I've been teaching on the Apostle Paul and his suffering for the ministry. I bear on my body the marks of Christ. And I've been dealing with that kind of specifically. And I had somebody ask me that you're going to a communist Muslim nation where they hate Christians. Do you have a concern over it? And um, those of you who know me know that I'm not smart enough to be concerned. (laughs) So I just go wandering through the landmines and hope I don't step on one. But anyway... I said, no, not really. It hadn't crossed my mind. I didn't think about it, to be honest with you. Then when the flights all started screwing up, you fly Aeroflot Airlines. I was supposed to fly to Frankfurt, to Istanbul, to Baku. That They were having a work slowdown or something. I don't, I don't know what they were doing. But anyway, I got to Frankfurt, and they put me on Aeroflot to Moscow and Aeroflot to Baku. To fly Aeroflot is a, is, is, a, is a wonderful thing because it's like, what is it like to fly in the 60s? And, and you're like, you guys raided a museum and got an airplane, didn't you? Does anybody here, some of you won't remember, some of you will. TWA? Okay, remember the old TWA commercials with the, the goofy looking hats and the white gloves? That's Aeroflot today. <laughs> and you're like, huh, a time machine. It's just, it's just bizarre. You're sitting there thinking, are you guys going to, you know, fly to Istanbul or Moscow on a 1960s airplane? This is going to be interesting any way it comes out. So that was kind of how it was all starting. When I got there, Baku is an extraordinarily modern city. I mean, beyond the architecture that is there is maddening. I mean, you're, I mean, who thought that up? They've got a building that they call the Orchid Building. And it's three towers and they're bent like an orchid. They're about 110, 15 stories tall, all three of them. It's identical. And at night, they turn them red so that they look like the Azerbaijanis used to worship fire. And they would turn these, and you can see them anywhere in a Baku. And you're just like, wow. They have speed limit signs that are LED. And if you're speeding, they flash at you. And you're like, well, that's just something you don't see. But as soon as you get out of the city... Does any of you guys remember the movie Giant? Okay. When, uh, what's his name, hits oil? And then he starts, uh, James Dean, okay. When James Dean hits oil, and then shortly thereafter, he starts drilling all those derricks, and they have that one picture, that everywhere you can see every square foot's got an oil rig on it. That's what the outskirts of Baku looks like. Okay, and everywhere you look, you think you're seeing water and it's oil. Okay, and it smells, if you remember the old Conoco refinery up in Commerce City, that's what it smells like. The whole city smells like petroleum. If I work in the shop on motorcycles for a while, I get this petroleum smell on me and you just don't really shake it. The, the city smells like that. 
I had a 35-year-old young lady who had been raised in a devout Muslim home. She came to Jesus Christ. And her family kicked her out immediately. She's had no conversation with her parents or sister in five years. Some people in the church have taken her in. and She, being a Christian, cannot have a job. Her uh, last communications with her parents before they kicked her out is she can never have a husband because in Islam, the father picks the husband. He arranges who his daughter will marry and he will never pick her. She is classified by the officials of the government as a prostitute because any good woman will be married by 18. Most of the people treat her that way. She's been raped three or four different times because they felt like that if she's 30 years old and isn't married, then she must be a prostitute. Okay. Uh, A guy there with the biggest grin I've ever seen, like the Cheshire Cat, he pastors a church of 10 people. For the last seven months, every Sunday, his church is raided by the police. And all they do is intimidate the people with the intent of scaring them enough that they'll stop coming to church. And he says, no, I'm not stopping. If you have a visitor to the church, you're not allowed to proselytize. It's against the law. Anywhere. All right? So if you have a visitor in the church, you're not allowed to have an altar call. You're not allowed to challenge him to salvation. You can teach the Bible. Okay? And unless the person comes to church for about three or four months, then do you feel safe that you can share a relationship with Jesus Christ with them? Because what happens is once you're registered, the government will send people to your church. And if you try to proselytize them, then they will pull your paper and you'll have an armed guard outside your building and you're not allowed to use that ever again. I had the privilege of teaching every pastor in the country. Every single pastor in the country. 21 of them. 21 of them. And it is 2015, isn't it? The government is a form of socialism. And the rest of it is run by the Muslims. And the Muslims and the socialists get along because right now they've got oil. And yet, you sit and you talk to these people. And they are the most joyous group of people that you've ever been around. I went to an Aussie worship service, uh, native tongue, Assyrian. Three hours long. Three hours long. Four different pastors got up and read scripture. Okay? It was packed. It was like sardines, shoulder to shoulder. Three hours, and they stood for the whole service. And I mean, they were, (laughs) wow, (laughs) you guys are enthusiastic, ain't you? I was impressed. And I look around at our place today where I'm at and think, huh, 
These people are under persecution and you would have thought they had won the lottery. It's pretty impressive. I told you about the guy that had his jaw broke. All the churches are going to come together because he can't pay for it. Everybody but two pastors are bivocational or trivocational. And it's astonishing. They've got it. We're, I went up toward Georgia, not Atlanta. <laughs> okay. I went up toward Georgia where SGA... SGA has been working in Azerbaijan right now for... They're going into their eighth year. We've only had two classes. Eric Mock did one a year ago and then the one that I did last week. Anyway, we went up to this place where they're building a house of prayer. They've been building this house of prayer for five years, a little over five years. And, and I asked Eric, I said, uh, do they just need the money? And he said, no, they had enough to build it when we gave it to them. They got a one lump sum. But they can't build it fast. Because if they build it fast, the Muslims will go to the police and say that they're selling drugs. That's where they got the money to build the church. So they'll build a couple of rows of blocks and maybe a door frame and a window frame. And then they'll wait three or four weeks and then they'll build a little more. Because they don't want to bring suspicion upon what they're doing. What is it you complain about? What is it that you've got going on in your Christian walk that causes you grief right now? This is 2015, people. And these people are so ecstatic. Now, they're on the Eastern calendar. So they'll celebrate Easter next week because theirs is right. If you don't believe me, ask them. <laughs> That's what they say. Well, ours was right. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. And, and yet I look at this and I think about what we have here, the freedom we have here, and yet what is it that we complain about? Uh, really? I mean, were you persecuted today for your belief? But this is the kind of stuff, when I read through this little section right here, he says it was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who would be a descendant of David and declared the son of God by power because he was raised from the dead. These people live in the imminent possibility of dying at any time and they don't care. They're going to keep preaching. I was with Ilya. He's got a door into the prisons right now. And he's only been praying for it for 15 years. And he says he's got 12 Christians who are in prison. And he wants to start having a Bible study with him. We went to a tuberculosis hospital. Okay. The place ain't got a window in it. All the glass is knocked out. They hang, I don't know, blankets and things up to keep the wind from blowing through. They heat the rooms with these little one burner cook plates. 
There'd be four or five of them in a room, and that's how they heat it. And I, I got in there. I'm talking to these ladies who have tuberculosis, and uh, you know, asking them their names, and, and you know, do they believe? And just sharing the love of Christ with them. We bringing them some of those uh, toy shoe boxes from uh, Samaritan's Purse. They was giving them them, and it dawned on me that I've been here for about an hour, and I ain't seen a doctor or a nurse. And I'm in a building that <laughs> is just a little bit spooky. Okay? But they did have a lot of cats. Everywhere you look, cats. But they, they only respond to Russian, and I scared them. Anyway. Um, and so I ask, are there doctors and nurses here? I mean, this thing is called a hospital. They said, well, yeah. This, well, do you know where? Oh, no, I don't know where they're at. Well, and yet the people who are reaching out to them are who? The Christians. There's a young man there who's got CP, cerebral palsy. He's from uh, Donetsk, Ukraine. He fled to Ukraine. His wife is Azerian. And so when the war broke out, he fled to Baku because he could stay with his uh, in-laws. Okay, but what happens is the war, he was on a government check like our Social Security. He was on a government check. And when the war came out, that stopped. Okay, so he's in Baku living with his father, father and mother-in-law and he's preaching. And I got to be honest, the kid's good. They have three sermons in every church service. I was number two. Okay. I cheated the third guy. All right. And yet, here he is. No way to get a job. The church is helping him. And so I gave him $200. That's probably three and a half months of food. What was I going to do with it? Buy some oil? But you see what I mean? And you know what? I told Eric, Eric is getting ready to leave. He left on Thursday. I told him, I said, if his refugees papers come through and Azerbaijan takes him as a refugee, I said, I will, I'll ask our congregation to pick him up as a pastor for 250 a month. Okay? Just out spending money. That's all I do. You just can't take him anywhere. Send me to Moscow, will you? I share this because you know my passion. I was talking to people, asked me, they said, well, how did the teaching go? And I said, well, it's real typical. And they said, well, what do you mean it's real typical? Well, you get two days of challenge. They challenge you for two days. They want to try to make you mad. They want to try to get you off topic. They want to try to do whatever they can to just see if you're real. You know, here's this Westerner sitting here all of a sudden, acts like he knows what the Bible is. And when I was in Russia, it was that way. When I went up to St. Petersburg, they tried me. When I was in Moscow, they tried me. When I was in Orel, they tried me. And, you know, Ilya says, he says, one thing about you, you do not move from the book. I don't have anything else. I don't even know how to speak your language. 
Let me explain to you how this works. In the letter of Nehemiah, Israel has come out of Babylonian captivity. In Nehemiah 8, it says, All the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in the front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. They thought they had lost the Bible. And somebody found one. And they asked Ezra. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men and women, all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square in front of the water gate from early in the morning until midday in the presence of men and women who could understand. He stood behind a wooden podium. Huh. I wonder what that sounds like. I know. You're going to go from how long, Terry? He opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he had opened it up, all the people stood. Ezra blessed the Lord, a great God. And all the people said, Amen, Amen. And lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Read from the book of the law of God, translating it to give them the sense so that they would understood the reading. Read the book. Psalm 1. Verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. Day and night, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruits in its seasons and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. It's fascinating stuff, people. I get into a foreign country. They want to challenge me. And they want to, how's come you don't use real wine for communion? Is that truly the big burning theological issue of our day? No, I think ours is pizza in Indiana. Isaiah 34, verse 16. Seek from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these will be missing. None will lack its mate. For his mouth has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has divided it to them by line. He shall possess it forever. Paul says that the prophet spoke of this. We must read this. We must know what this is. Why? Well, because the book tells us what it's about. It is the revealing of God to us. Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day in which I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. And on their heart, I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will be remembered no more. Jeremiah was preparing to go into Babylonian captivity. His contemporary, Ezekiel, chapter 36. Remember what Paul said, it was foretold by who? By the prophets. Chapter 36, verse 25 and following. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Hmm. Fascinating, isn't it? Back to Isaiah chapter 7. Ten through 16. Then the Lord again spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. And he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. That was a few years before Jesus. Few. About 500. Chapter 9 of Isaiah 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it and with justice and righteousness. And from then on forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this 
Isaiah 53. We all know, many of us know Isaiah 53. It's a very familiar text. Verses 1 through 12. Who has believed our message? And whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like the root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He is despised and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and he did not, we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet not He did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that was silent before the shearers. So he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet. He was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, uh, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with great. And he will, and they will, he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death numbered with the transgressors, and yet he bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? 500 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah knew it was coming, and Isaiah was preparing for the Babylonian captivity himself. Ezekiel was preparing for Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah was too. And yet, they are encouraging you and me by the coming of Messiah. And that he would die and suffer and be raised from the dead. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Who wrote that psalm? David is prophesying that his throne will continue 
through the person of Jesus. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew and you look at the Gospel of Luke, you see two lineages and you will stand back and say, they contradict each other. No, not really. One is of Joseph and one is of Mary. So either way you seal it. You want to know one that's even weirder than that? The lineage of Mary is the cursed line of David. The two lines of David came together, which disqualifies anybody after Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the curse to Satan was that you would bruise his heel and he will crush your head. So you can go back a little farther. Second Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel 7, 12 and 13. When your days are complete, you will lie down with your fathers and I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You want me to go on? I like it when people say, well, it's so vague. And I smile at him with my effervescent, bubbly smile and say, have you not read? Psalm 89. Three and four. Psalm 89, 3 and 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Verse 19. Once you spoke in a vision to your godly ones and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people, I have found David, my servant, my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand will establish. My arm will also strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name, his horn will be exalted. Isaiah 11. One through five. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge what his eyes see. Nor make decisions by his ears. What his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor. And decide with Fairness for the afflicted of the earth and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. 
Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. That is just a small sampling of what the prophets say of The promise from Holy Scriptures. I can go on. And I could start early in the morning. Go late in the day. Back to my text in Romans. He would be declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus our Lord. The tomb is empty. You know, there's something that is, is missed that I, that I see in the resurrection on the day that he died. That sets a stage that many seem to miss. It says that when he gave up his spirit, there was an event that took place at the temple. What was it? The curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Now we think about it, and I look over here at this curtain, and you think, well, what's, what's the big deal? Well, let me tell you what the big deal is. That curtain was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, 10 inches thick. Okay? They said that it takes 300 priests to hang it. See, all she needed is Samson, but 300 priests to get it done. Okay? 300 priests to hang it. And you know what the priest called it? The hem of God's robe. Because it blocked the Holy of Holies from the commoner. And you can go through the Talmudic writings right now, and Gamali called it the hem of God's robe. You know what was fascinating tradition among the Jewish people? At the time of the New Testament. If a father. Lost a son. The son died. You know what the tradition was? The father tore the hem of his robe. Where the mercy seat was. Was where the Shekinah glory was. It's where God was. The presence of God was. And when Christ died, the glory of God was given to the common man. And it says here, he was his son. Why? Because God raised him from the dead. That means the sacrifice for sin was paid in full and God accepted it. 
I think about the church in the United States today, and it's a little troubling, I must say. Just a tad bit. Because we do not live in the light of the resurrection. We live in the light of whatever is convenient for me. And, and I've heard all of the arguments. I've heard all of the philosophy. Well, it's because we're in postmodern America. Well, I got news for you. I had a dear friend of mine who is in glory right now. He preached on every continent except Antarctica. Okay. And he said he never changed the message. It was always in the Bible. And it, he never worried about being culturally relative. Because I got news for you, people. Whether I'm in Baku, or Punjab, or Tenement, or Washington, D.C., or Castle Rock, Colorado, guess what? Sin is sin is sin. And I don't care what you call it, you can, well, he's just morally challenged. It's still sin. It's still sin. You know, alcoholism is a disease. No, it's sin. I hear it all. Well, you know, God made homosexuals that way. Oh, don't say that real loud. No, he made them Adam and Eve. That doesn't seem like you have to be a theologian to get that. Because if you read the rest of Romans, you start seeing that he exchanges. Man is so brilliant, he will exchange what the perfect God has given them for something to substitute. And you know what? The church has fallen for it. I watched people, for the time that I was there, their greatest passion was the body of Christ. That's what they wanted. I want to be with Christians. I want to be in this building. I want to be in a house of prayer. I want to pray. When you get done preaching in those lands, you say, let us pray. You know what? Everybody stands up and starts. Everybody. I mean, they get after it. You're sitting there going, we could be here another hour. And yet our pride says, what if I say something stupid? You just did. So press on. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? When I read through this and it says, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ Jesus, our Lord. He was the son of God. Why? The grave is empty. The grave is empty. Everybody else has still got stuff in it. Jesus doesn't have anything in it. Why? It's the Son of God. It's the Son of God. The perfect sacrifice. Paul says here, he is a descendant of David. Matthew gives us a lineage and Luke gives us a lineage. Any way you shake it. Well, because people will say, well, if he's the Son of God, then that means Joseph and his father. How can he be of the line of David? Check out his mom. We got her covered. I mean, you guys think that God, well, God missed that one. That ain't the way it works, people. 
Why? He will be on the throne of David forever and ever. I showed you the text. If he's got that nailed down, and what is exactly your problem? I don't understand it. I flew on a plane from Frankfurt, uh, Germany, to Detroit, Michigan. There were three Sikh families okay, from India. There was me, and everybody else was Muslim. And there was close to 500 people on the plane. Now, why would 400 Muslims want to go to Detroit? I've been to Detroit. I was in Detroit when Detroit was a good place. Well, sort of. Why are they going there? I don't know. I have no idea. I I know that it's an entryway for customs, but so is Atlanta and Chicago and New Jersey, New York, D.C., I I share that because I hear people saying, well, Christianity's on the way out. Really? You know what? I agree. I truly do. Because I believe Jesus will come and get us. And I'm out of here. Okay? But I also had a friend who pastors a church of 60,000, and he's been there for almost 50 years as the senior pastor of it. And his comment to me one time, and it still stuns me, he says, I do not believe there's enough of us going to be caught up to meet him in the sky that anybody will notice that we're gone. That's kind of shocking if you think about it. Because I know a whole bunch of people say they love God and live like atheists. Okay, And as we celebrate the resurrection, I hope that you understand that he is of the descendant of David, whose throne will be forever. And God proved him to be the son of God because he raised him from the dead. And I listen to people say, well, there's no proof. Really? Really? I've got some good proof for you. Eleven half-hearted cowards would not defend him on the night he was arrested. And then 40 days later, they walk into the temple and say to the Sanhedrin, the people who put him to death, and they says to them, you people who murdered Messiah... Now, what made them so brave if they wouldn't fight for him when he was alive? What changed them? And, well, we don't know. Really? Really? So why do you celebrate Christmas? Brothers and sisters... I saw what persecution against Christians looks like. I saw it. But I also saw the joy of salvation and the people who were persecuted. In this country, we have a growing animosity towards Christ. 
And it's always been there. But now it's getting louder. Okay? And they're getting allies. My question to you is, do you believe in the resurrection? Or are you more into chocolate rabbits? Because there's going to come a time when you're going to have to stand. And if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. We live in a wonderful place. We have all kinds of freedoms. And with those freedoms, you know what we get? Distractions. Inundated by distractions. I had, uh, it was funny, I, I was in my hotel room. And I, so I, it's got a TV and I'm like, well, this ought to be interesting. So I turn the TV on and it gives me this channel thing. I had an Azerbaijani TV station that had 54 channels. I had a Turkish TV station that had 128 channels. I had a Russian TV channel that had 132 TV channels on it. I had a Jordanian, not a Jordanian, a Georgian TV station. And one other one, I can't remember what it was. Okay. And you know what? <laughs> not one of them had anything that I could read. Although, although, Daffy Duck and Porky Pig and Aziri is hilarious. <laughs> but it dawned on me, look at what we had to distract. And I read books. I mean, I had taken me a bunch of books and I got through them all. <laughs> Okay, and you know, I mean, I couldn't even figure out what the weather was. Okay, I mean, you couldn't read the banners. You could, well, looky there. You know, I I did see some American movies. uh, What was the the James Bond Skyfall in Georgian? And you're like, that looks like James Bond. (laughs) But he's talking funny. All right, I share these things with you because think about the stuff that you are distracted by that are really not that important. And yet I think about, here we have this text, according to his son, born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's Resurrection Sunday. It should be the most joyous time that we can have, and we should not have any distractions today because the tomb is emptied. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that should be the greatest joy that you could ever wrap your arms around. Even when I got to drive that 707 horsepower Dodge, doesn't compare to the resurrection of Christ. Although I would take one. No. (laughs) It would probably just make me go see him faster. (laughs) But I I want you to think about these things. Because you know what? We sit there and we talk about it once a year. This is a resurrection. We should live in the light of the resurrection every breath that we've got until the day our faith becomes sign. We should be praying for the saints who are suffering for their faith. And you know what? There are some of us in this room who are suffering for our faith. We have given in to our sin and we are suffering for our faith.
Let today be the day that we stop. Let today be the day of the joy of our salvation, the power of the resurrection, knowing that we serve the descendant of David who was sealed to be the son of God by the power of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our Savior, our Lord. Father, thank you for your truth and your proof. Lord, um, I praise you for these precious people and this time that we have come together. Father, I thank you that their hearts were praying for me as I traveled. And Father, that um, may you instill in each of their souls that you accomplished exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or imagine. But Father, the task is at hand. Let us run the race, not entangled with the things of this world, empowered by the power of the resurrection, to the joy of our salvation, knowing that He is risen, He has risen indeed. And let that be our Amen. To my Savior, my Lord, my King. In Christ, Amen.